outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on Seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on FishingBooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at FishingBooker.com to book your trip today. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt Foundations podcast, your guide to the fundamentals of better deer hunting. Presented by First Light, creating proven, versatile hunting apparel for the stand, saddle, or blind. First Light, go farther, stay longer. And now, your host, Tony Peterson. Hey everyone, welcome to the Wired to Hunt Foundations podcast, which is brought to you by First Light. I'm your host, Tony Peterson, and today's episode is all about why learning what does do helps you kill bucks. They get no love and it drives me nuts. I honestly think that if does were as rare as mature bucks, they'd be harder to kill than mature bucks. I know people will laugh at that because it's situational, like all of hunting. In some places, killing does is as easy as picking an evening to go sit on the food and then shooting one. But in some places, killing a good buck is like that too. In others, lots of others, killing a doe is as tough as any deer hunting challenge out there, or pretty damn close. But it's more than that. The ladies of the deer herd can teach us a lot if we are willing to pay attention to them. And that's what I'm really going to dive into this week. I know you guys and gals think I'm super clever at coming up with, you know, all this stuff on my own, but sometimes someone around me will say something and that's all I need to come up with an article or a podcast. My kids do this to me fairly often. I'll give you a couple examples. When my girls were maybe six, I was cleaning out a wood duck house in our backyard that hangs over our little pond. This task involves getting up on a ladder, sweeping out the old wood shavings and refilling the box sometime in the early spring. Often, there's evidence of other critters using the nesting box. At some point, a pair of gray squirrels had had some babies in the duck apartment, but it was clear that they had moved out. They had also abandoned one of their youngsters, who was really dead and really fascinating to my daughter. 
So we talked about squirrels, all kinds of them, including pine squirrels and gray squirrels and fox squirrels and even flying squirrels, which really caught her attention. Later, long after I had forgotten about the conversation, I heard my daughter excitedly telling my wife about our conversation. And at some point she said, there were flying dead squirrels in there. Now, Flying Dead Squirrels will be the name of the parenting book I'll eventually write. My other daughter, the one who casually blurted out that she could actually smell the blood inside of me when we were driving one time, said something else that I'll make into some kind of content at some point. She, along with her sister and cousins, had been working hard on a ford up at the lake. They've scrounged up a couple of tarps, some old chair cushions, and other assorted crap that just seems to slowly accumulate in life, and they're pretty into this whole fort building thing. So into it that they talked my sister-in-law into taking them shopping for supplies recently. And when I asked my daughter what they bought, she quickly replied, hmm, just fort snacks and fly traps. Fort snacks and fly traps will be the inspiration for something eventually, probably a podcast or an article, or maybe, I don't know, I'll start a punk band. Who knows? The thing is, when you do what I do, inspiration is everywhere if you learn to look for it. Mark hasn't really figured that out yet, but he's young and we'll probably get there eventually. As his slightly older and much, much wiser mentor, I've learned to keep my ears open for any such utterance that might light a spark of an idea. This is what happened earlier this month when I was packing up my spotting scope and my camera gear on the edge of a bean field in southeastern Minnesota. My hunting partner, Eric, and I had posted up on the edge to see if we could turn up a bachelor group of big bucks. What we saw instead was a few scrappers and a lot of does and fawns, which to our sadness is what our cameras on that property had been consistently showing us. As we walked out, we pondered where the big boys might be. And Eric casually said, they definitely aren't hanging with the bachelorette group. There you have it. A podcast is born. And while he was making a joke, he was also making a true observation, which if you really think about it, is the cornerstone of so many good jokes. Kind of like one of my favorite lines in The Crossing, which is a book by Cormac McCarthy that you should read because it's, well, pretty incredible. Anyway, one of the characters in the book says something like, it would take one hell of a wife to beat no wife at all, which, while it's one of my favorite jokes, my wife actually doesn't think is very funny. But you guys can probably also tell that my wife never listens to any of my podcasts. The thing about the bachelorette group comment is this. The does and bucks often don't hang together much. This is true in the world of whitetails. It's true in the world of elk, antelope, mule deer, and you see it all the time with turkeys. I wonder if it happens with fish. Now, I know that all the critters will mix at some point. Otherwise, we wouldn't have new little critters running around. But nature often segregates itself in such a way And there's a lot to learn from that. Hell, take those, for example. I've already mentioned this, but I believe it. If you can go kill pressured does, mature pressured does, I should say, with, I don't know, some level of consistency, you can kill mature pressured bucks. I know that doesn't seem true, but it is. If you're good enough to learn the ladies and their habits and avoid their detection at most times of the season, you can do the same with their elderly boyfriends. The only difference is that the elderly boyfriends aren't very common. It's kind of like this. A lot of hunters with some Western experience 
and a lot of hunters with no Western experience would rank elk as the toughest critter to get an arrow in on public land. Now in Colorado or Idaho in an over-the-counter type unit, you can make a pretty strong case for that. But what about on a $12,000 landowner tag in New Mexico that you're using on public land? Different story there. The variables are endless, so generalizing is often a good way to be wrong. But I'll say this in my somewhat not-so-limited experience. If you're good enough to crawl across the prairie and arrow an antelope of any size, somewhat consistently, you can kill just about anything that might make its way onto the super slam list. It's just a test of good hunting skills. Arrowing elk is, too, or spotting and stalking mule deer. And so is being able to figure out white-tailed does on a regular basis, at least if you're in a place where they get hunted fairly hard. But those ladies and these early season groups of them also do something else for us as hunters. They tell us where the bucks often aren't. You see, nature does a wonderful job of creating hierarchies. The biggest and toughest in any group tends to own the spots with the best advantages. Security cover, water, food sources, you name it. The entire deer herd on your property is organized this way. Kind of like that org chart at work that shows who works under who in what department. It's also not a perfect pyramid shape either because some does are dominant over other does while some bucks are dominant over other bucks. In general, what you see as you scout the last days of velvet living and the first couple weeks of hard antlered life is that the deer tend to split up into groups divided by gender. The does will be in the bean field in multiple spots, but the bucks, at least the bigger deer, will usually be in very specific locations. They'll be in the back corner that isn't visible from the road and is close to the trout stream where they can drink some delicious cold water any damn well time they please. When they are feeding together, you often won't see groups of does and fawns get too close to the bucks or mix it up with them. When you watch groups of does and fawns feeding in a spot, they often won't mix it up with other does and fawns either. And if they do, you often see ears pinned back and hooves flying. They do this even when they have 200 acres of the same food source right at their disposal. It's the proximity to one another that matters most, and they often aren't that tolerant. So what does this mean? Well, for starters, what if you're getting a whole bunch of pictures of does and fawns, but not a whole bunch of pictures of 150-inch bucks? Well, either the bucks aren't around, or your camera is on a spot that is great for the ladies, but not so great for the dominant bucks. You might think, well, I do get some buck pictures, so they are around. And aren't I supposed to be around does for my rut hunts? Sure, buddy. That's all true, but the rut is a long ways off, and a lot is going to change between then and now. Don't you want to fill your deer tag earlier in the season so you can go to another state and have some more deer fun? Here's the thing. The does are often not exactly where the bucks are. That matters for your scouting, for your camera placement, for your stand sites, for all of it. It's not a hard and fast rule, of course. But it is something to consider when you're trying to make a hunting plan that results in you getting a big buck, which is what we're talking about here. Pay attention here because this is a hell of a good service. It's called the Wellness Company. Picture this, okay? You wake up, you got a scratchy throat, you're all congested, you got a runny nose, you got a cough, whatever. And you weigh your options, like you tough it out, get sick, take time off work, try to get a doctor's appointment sometime in the next few months. 
wait two hours at urgent care and sit in a room full of six sick folks, or you open your medical emergency kit, you match your symptoms to the doctor-recommended prescription, and you start on the right meds right away. These medical emergency kits, not a first aid kit, all right? It comes with doctor-prescribed meds to treat over 39 medical issues. So, on hand, strong antibiotics for infections of all types. Plus, a doctor's easy guide so you know exactly what to take and when. No waiting to see the doctor. No waiting at the pharmacy. It's all in there. Every home should have at least one medical emergency kit. Order yours online in minutes. Your kit will be rushed to your door. Get 15% off at twc.health slash meat eater, but you got to use the promo code meat eater. That's promo code meat eater, okay, at twc.health slash meat eater. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time Seafoam Motor Treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that Seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. And it's really simple. When you pour it into your gas tank, Seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can into your gas tank and let it do its job. Now you probably know someone who's used a can of Seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. Because people everywhere rely on it to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. So, help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart, or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid, and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And, as often is the case, those guys were on to something. Because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from heart and soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised grass-fed and finished cattle heart and soils unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean convenient taste-free capsule find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. So the ladies teach us a lot of things. They teach us where the secondary feeding areas probably are, which is what that bachelorette group that Eric so aptly named showed us. But we didn't learn their full message until we pulled a camera in one spot on that giant bean field that is just tucked away sort of in no man's land and close to a water source. That camera had more big buck pictures on it than the other four or five on the field combined. It also has a really interesting stand set up on it now that you'll probably get to see next year on the Meat Eater YouTube channel at some point, I'm guessing. The other cameras we have on that field, the spotting scope work we've done on that field, it 
all came together to show us where a lot of doe family groups were and you know where a couple of year and a half old bucks were too it also showed us where the bachelor group of older bucks wasn't and they weren't nocturnal they weren't on somebody else's property they just weren't in the spots we monitored this happens a lot it happens when you're scouting and running cameras it happens when you're hunting now i know i'm contradicting myself here on some level because I do believe trying to get in close proximity to all kinds of deer is good for your hunting overall. But for early season hunts where your target is a decent buck, sometimes you want to get away from most of the rest of the deer. You also don't want to write does off as interesting things to watch while you're waiting for another chance to rack up a taxidermy bill. This is because the doe groups, when they do overlap with good buck movement, often show up first. I see this in the evenings a lot and almost always in the mornings. I don't know why this is, but when I hunt early season mornings, you know, when every whitetail expert out there says that you shouldn't, I often see does and youngsters come through first. Then, like 8.30 or 9 in the morning, when I start thinking about pancakes and a midday nap or maybe going to trout fish for a few hours, the bigger deer will cruise through. If I get busted by the does first, the big guy isn't going to show up. If you're on a field edge in the evening and that doe with two fawns decides she doesn't like the first light specter covered blob in the tree filming her with an iPhone 10 or worse, taking selfies for the gram, good luck. She's going to send out the bat signal and the bucks aren't going to show. Or if they do, it's going to be real late. The point I'm trying to make here is this. There is no just hunting big bucks. You might focus solely on that as your goal but you're never going to do that without dealing with other deer in the herd. They are always a consideration. It's kind of like throwing frogs for largemouth in the lily pads when you're in the North Country. Your goal might be an amphibian's chomping five-pounder that is living you know, in two feet of water and just waiting to smash something slimy on the surface. But along the way, you'll also deal with northern pike biting you off and ripping holes in your $12 spro frogs so often that you might need to take out a HELOC just to pay for your next shields order. They are just a part of the whole thing, just like the groups of does out there. I know this one has been kind of all over the place, so let me try to stick this landing here without breaking an ankle. Pay attention to the does on your cameras, the does you see while glassing, and the does you see while hunting. What they do, bucks will do. The trails they walk, bucks will eventually walk. The way they drop down to the pond for a little drink, so too will some bucks at some point. But they'll also show you, particularly in the early season, where the bucks often aren't. That beautiful open woods you like to sit in because there are a bunch of white oaks in there, that's great. But if it's just doe after doe during daylight, it's not because the bucks are nocturnal. It's because they either have a better spot to feed where you aren't, or they're just taking their sweet-ass time moving in better cover until you leave and the lights go out. If your camera on your kill plot shows tons of daylight activity from does, but not much daylight activity from good bucks, pay attention. Are they in there after dark? Then you might have to hunt them a little ways off of the groceries, all while avoiding detection from the ladies as they pass through first. I think you have to learn how to hunt the does before you can learn how to hunt the big dudes, but you also have to work with them throughout the season because they're going to be a part of the whole thing whether you like it or not 
they sometimes show you exactly where you should hunt. Like if they're using a river crossing or traveling along a soft edge while browsing in the big woods. But they also sometimes show you where you shouldn't hunt. If you want a big buck, that is. If the part of the field you love to watch is dominated by does, take note. If your favorite stand that is easy to get to and sits over a power line with nice views in two directions is always full of ladies and youngsters, take note. The bucks are likely around, but they are using some part of the terrain that offers them something better. This lesson is often most easily understood by betting. You see this with Western critters a lot too, because they often show themselves in their beds so you can see exactly where they are and make a good guess as to why. Whitetails aren't as generous that way, but you can fill in the blanks pretty well with when and where you jump deer and when and where you see them on your hunts, at least if you're hunting in the cover. The does will often be bedded in the most obvious spots, and the bucks won't. They will show you this by either actually showing themselves or not. How is that confusing? Look at it this way. If you walk into the woods and you see some does running away at, say, noon, you know they were probably bedded there. You might find proof of that by, well, finding their beds. But if you hike up a bluff onto a nice little bench where the view is solid and the wind is just right, you probably won't see any deer. You might find a great big lone bed and think, dang, at some point, he's here. But the truth is, he's always going to be gone when you get there because he knows you're coming because his bed is positioned in such a way that you're just not going to sneak up on him. His spot is better than where those does bed up on the ridge or in the open valley below. The deer all have something to teach us. Just like every elk encounter is a lesson in elk behavior. Just like every turkey that feeds through the meadow is giving you a firsthand lesson on turkey behavior. These things matter, and they are the secret sauce that takes average hunters to the next level. So my friends, don't write off the ladies. Use their presence. Use your pictures of them, your sightings, to inform your decisions on how to hunt whatever deer trips your trigger. And come back next week, because I'm going to break down one of our biggest allies and one of our biggest enemies as hunters. An unseen force that influences our hunting decisions more than just about anything else. It's an invisible element of each and every second we spend in the outdoors that can make or break your experience in a matter of seconds. And there ain't a damn thing we can do about it. You guessed it. I'm going to talk about squirrels. Just kidding. It's wind. That's it for this week. I'm Tony Peterson. This has been the Wired to Hunt Foundations podcast, which is brought to you by First Light. As always, thank you so much for listening and for all your support. Every one of us here at Meat Eater truly appreciates it. We can't thank you enough. If you want some more hunting content, and I'm talking other podcasts, videos, articles, whatever, you want to do a little shopping, head on over to TheMeatEater.com and you'll see all of that and more. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today 
at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase.